Good afternoon and welcome to Transcending Together with Julianne and Lee. Thank you very much for joining us. If you're still with us after my show that ran just prior to this one, thank you for sticking around. And if you've just tuned in equally, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate having you here. So today's show is very much predicated on the old trope that a funny thing happened to me on the way to the theatre. And it just so happens that Lee and I had had a conversation about what she wanted to cover today. And interestingly enough, the topic which Lee wanted to discuss happened to come up in the media. So there was an article last week out of the LBC which was titled University Accused of Woke Gobbledygook as it cuts the word women from maternity leave and menopause policies. Uh, It goes on to say a university has been slammed for cutting the word women from its maternity leave policy. The University of Arts, London UAL, updated guidance to tell staff maternity applies to all genders. The guidance reads, expectant parents may be of any gender, including trans, non-binary, agender, gender non-conforming, gender queer and gender fluid individuals. UAL also scrapped the word from its menopause policy, opting for individual person or people instead. It says UAL recognised that menopause may be experienced by colleagues who do not identify as female, so this guidance and support content is intended to support anyone experiencing menopause, regardless of their gender identity. Now, this was, funnily enough, exactly what Lee and I wanted to talk about, so With no further ado, I'm going to hand you over to Lee, and she's going to take us in. Thank you, Julie. Thank you very much. So today we're going to be talking about the menopause and how we navigate the menopause maze in the LGBTQ plus um, community. So this is something that's quite close to my heart. So I thank Julie for um, allowing me to talk about this. I happen to be on my own menopause journey And I have found it incredibly difficult to find information and to really understand what was going on in my body. And this led me to do quite a bit of research on on the topic. And uh, we mentioned in last week's episode that um, I'm a life coach, I do some coaching. And my speciality is actually helping people to transition through the menopause. So I guess you could call me a, a, a menopause coach. So I just thought it would be quite important to talk about uh, menopause today because it's not just the heteronormative, the um, straight woman, um, it's, it affects all of us. And I'd like to talk about my perspective as a lesbian woman too. So I think if we can just start by discussing what menopause is and some of the common symptoms that affect people affected people might experience. And this is a a normal, natural, biological process that marks the end of a person's menstrual cycles and fertility. And it usually occurs between the ages of 45 and 55. And in the UK, the average is 51 years. And basically, the menopause is actually one day in your life. And that is 12 months without a menstrual period. That's the menopause. And then leading up to that period, we term it perimenopause. And then after that date, um, you would term it postmenopause. 
And some of the common symptoms would include hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, sleep disturbances. Um, and yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, Lee, if I can just stop you there for a moment. Um, I was interested to understand more about perimenopause because we hear about this a lot. Uh, well, I certainly have amongst the women in my life. So quite often the medical community seems to take a very light touch to that, almost discarding it, saying, oh, it's just perimenopause. Do, do you think that's a valid assessment? Absolutely, Julie. Um, so this is the phase, perimenopause is the phase leading up to the menopause. And this is when your hormones start to fluctuate. And it can last from a few months to several years. Um, and as well as being um, characterized by irregular menstrual cycles, you also have the mood swings, the irritability, the hot flushes, the night sweats. And um, I think a, a lot of women, what a lot of women experience is when they go to the GP and they say, oh, you know, I've got this, I've got that, I've got the next thing. And one of the common things, or perhaps the easiest, is for the GP just to write an antidepressant script for the woman and send her mm. on her way. Because especially like the low moods and things like that, uh, they have like a, a, a parallel and an overlap with some of the d symptoms of, of depression. And I can imagine that that depression and the low mood and that side of thing can apply to you know the the transgender community as well and i mean if heteronormative women are experiencing difficulties getting it acknowledged i can only imagine how much more difficult it is for trans people that are going through this because yeah it's it's easy enough and i experienced it the same the gp said oh you're depressed wrote me a script for antidepressants and sent me on my way. And of course, nothing changed, you know. And yeah, women generally do experience difficulty getting that recognition from um, the medical establishment, from the GPs or, or something like that. And a lot of women are, are forced to go private, go and see a, a menopause specialist rather than, you know, sort of like wait on the NHS to kind of like come to the party sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, actually, because in the research that that I was doing um, in the in the lead up to this show, one of the things that they talked about was the um, the mental health issues, especially for trans people, because I think for well, so so in the articles that I read, some one of the things that they talked to is the fact that for for trans men. Obviously, the menstrual cycle is a very triggering thing for them because it's this constant reminder that that they were assigned female at birth, and that is one of the things which which does come and does cause depression. And we we talked about broad brush painting things last week, and it's definitely one of the things that comes up in the research is that. Because so often the transgender people do struggle with mental health, the general response from GPs is just to prescribe sertraline or, or whatever it is, which isn't, and so it's a misdiagnosis in a way. 
So, so that was something I, I thought was quite interesting in the research where they were saying that, in fact, because trans men don't really want to talk about these things, they tend not to get help. And that can also then have an adverse effect on, on their mental health. Yeah, no, I, I agree totally. And, um, you know, I'm I'm someone who has also uh, struggled with mental health in the past. And um, it was easy enough for the GP to go, oh, you know, you're depressed. Here you go. Off you go. But I don't think that, that they were educated enough. And I know that things are changing, but just, you know, you've got, what, eight minutes when you when you see your GP and they just, you know, and... Yeah. You know, it, it's it's just I can I can imagine how much more devastating it is for trans people when, like you've said, you don't want to discuss those things or or you don't feel safe talking about those things, and yeah, just be fobbed off. You know, yes, there might be that that mental health background going on in the background. Um, you know, I, I I had it myself, but um, you know, why 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 don't you if you're of a certain age why don't you get sent for like the blood test to, to check your hormone levels? You know, or why isn't that the first approach? Why why is antidepressants uh, the first approach? Yeah, which is also, I think, where GPs have a, a delicate tiptoe around this, I guess. I, I, I think it's an education thing for, and we know that in the UK, it's got better transgender healthcare, but I do think, you know, it's like I get invited for pap smears because I'm classified as a woman on the NHS. So it doesn't trigger me in any way. And, and I'm quite relieved I don't have to do that. However, if I was a trans man and I'm registered as a male, is the I wonder if the inverse would be true because you know, they clearly don't have me classified as a transgender person within the NHS system, which on the one hand is a good thing. But on the other hand, where does that leave a trans male who would ordinarily, as if, if they had remained in their birth gender, been, I, I guess, well, let me ask this a different way around. In the, in the same way that I get invited for pap smears and mammograms. Well, the, man, the mammogram is actually an important thing, even for trans women. But uh, do, it, isn't there a protocol within the NHS to to sort of assume that women of a certain age or people who were assigned female at birth of a certain age would need that kind of treatment? Yes, is well, there nothing uh, like that in the NHS? No, there isn't. And that's that's my point. You know, it, it should be instead of saying you're depressed, here you go, off you go. It should be, well, you're of a certain age. Let's check your hormone levels because mm. perimenopause can go on for years in some cases. Um, and that's not the, the kind of like standard sort of treatment. So you go to the GP, you give them all these symptoms and they go, oh, you're depressed. Rather than say, oh, off you go for a blood test. Let's check your hormone levels because you're of that age. And I think the other misconception is, and it has been in, in the past, is that GPs will go, well, it can't be the menopause because you're too young. 
and mm. yet women in their early 40s are experiencing um, perimenopause, going through many perimenopause. So a lot of them get like, oh, well, you're too young. And I also thought about it. And um, I mean, I, I think I, I started the perimenopause journey about seven, maybe eight years ago. And again, it was like, well, I'm I'm far too young. It only happens to old ladies, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I've got a thought on that actually, but we're about to go into a commercial break, so I will hold that thought, and we will see you on the other side. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Are you trans and non-binary and feel like drugs or alcohol are impacting your life negatively? Why not check out Trans Sober? We're a grassroots peer support group for the community, by the community. Find us at www.transsober.org and join us online or come to one of our weekly drop-ins. We also offer other useful resources. Looking for business cards? Flyers? In fact, anything in print? We can help. Digital format specialists. www.printsmart.uk.com Think smart, print smart. Did you know you can advertise with us for less than a pound a day? Call 0207 856 0584 or email sales at transradiouk.com. Trans Radio UK, a global radio station the whole LGBTQ plus community can be proud of. Are you looking for an intimate and affordable graphic design service? Are you an indie author needing help to publish your book? Theodora Rosenberg is here to help. With packages for marketing, publishing and branding available, you're sure to be satisfied. Find out more at authortheorose.com. Trans Radio UK is on right now. Across the UK and beyond. Now, now, more of the music you love. Trans Radio UK. So welcome back, everybody. Um, so so the thing which was on my mind just as we went into the commercial break there was around this this idea that and, and Lee mentioned it and she talked about how when you, you only get like eight minutes with your GP. And you might not necessarily get a GP that has knowledge of your background. So if you're trans male and you've had a very successful transition, the GP is going to see a man sitting opposite, which is what you want. It's kind of like, but it's a double-edged sword because they're acknowledging that you're a man and that's exactly what you want. However, there there seems to me to be a almost disconnect in, in the healthcare provision because... They're assuming you're a man, so they're not necessarily going to realize that that's what you're going through, potentially, because in in the research which I've been doing, it does seem like even with a successful transition, you can still, as a trans man, go through menopause. Absolutely. You know, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And again, it, it comes down to an education program for our doctors and our GPs. And I know that there's been a lot of work done in recent years to educate GPs about the menopause, but I don't think there's been that connection to saying, well, you know, 
perhaps you should have a look at any trans male patients of a certain age and really listen to what their symptoms are and perhaps think about this. But I don't think there's there's been enough to sort of promote the education um, out Yeah. And I think I, I think also not just, you know, sort of like healthcare, but I think generally education or, or knowledge about the menopause is kind of missing because it's always been a taboo. You in, mm. in the olden days, they used to say she's going through the change, you know. Um, yeah. My mother didn't speak about it. My grandmother didn't speak about it. Now we, we find ourselves living in this information age and we're still not talking about it enough. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And yeah, the, the, there's a pagan concept around the maiden, the mother and the crone. crone. And the maiden is, and it's the three stages of a woman's life. And the maiden is, you know, young, frivolous, carefree. The mother is then, you know, when you go through that phase of mothering, and it, it might not necessarily be your own children, it could be other people's children, but that that time of looking after family is really is that phase of your life and I've always thought it's quite disingenuous to to then say use the word crone because it has such negative connotations and as you say you know you're just going through the change and 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 yeah what's worse is during your crone years are that's when you're wise that's when you've got the wisdom of the ages. Do, do you think, just as I was saying that, it, something occurred to me, to what extent do some women feel relieved to have gone through the change? Do, do, you, do you think there's ever like an upside to it? Yes, and I'm glad you brought in the analogy with um, the triple goddesses um, because I, I think that's a wonderful symbol of the menopause, um, the three stages. And yeah, you're right. The crone does get a lot of negative publicity, but it's an opportunity. You know, it's, I like to call it, you going through um, your second spring, you know, because you've come to the end of one cycle and now you're this wise woman. And I think with a lot of sort of mindset stuff that we're doing in coaching and, and things like that, it's to focus on that mindset and say, you might not be procreating anymore or have the ability to, but you're still very creative and you can offer so much to the younger generations. And we should be revealed, you know, the crone should be revealed as uh, as the wise woman. Yeah, that that's the way I see it, certainly. And and I think that's what possibly from a mental health perspective, people going through it should focus on is that yes your body is feeling uncomfortable and it is doing things that you don't necessarily want it to do but it's it's almost a, a re-emergence of self because you're getting your body back it's entirely your own which leads me on to something else that I've been thinking about or that I've, I've thought about previously but I think it's relevant here as well what effect do you think it has on relationships because it, in my mind the kind of partner for a maiden you know that's someone you want to play with the the mother wants a nurturing partner and so that the partner you had as a maiden is not necessarily the appropriate partner that you had during motherhood 
and and I, I use that broadly, even if you haven't had children, it's still that phase in your life where you're creating a, a home and a family and a and a relationship, a very close relationship with the, with with the people close to you. What do you think the impact is then? Because during cronehood, and I think we need to own that name again. Absolutely, you know, we need to be positive about it. Do you, do you think it has an effect on people's relationships? I mean, is there a correlation between menopause and divorce? Absolutely. You know, I hang about a lot of uh, menopause Facebook groups being a menopause coach. And it's one of the things that is discussed the most in these these forums. And I think it's from the perspective that, you know, their, their husbands don't understand what they're going through. Well, let me tell you, as a lesbian woman myself, and this is something that they don't warn you about in lesbian school, is uh, ask my wife, both of us going through <laughs> perimenopause at the same time. And it's it was just an absolute nightmare until we fully understood what was really going on. So you want to have a, a supportive partner and somebody that will stand by you as you metamorphose into the crone. But again, there's a lack of education around that. It's a taboo subject, really. Where did you find your education? Where did you find the information? It started about eight, as I say, about eight years ago when I first went to my GP and came up with, this is what I'm going through, blah, blah, blah. And I was put on antidepressants and sent on my way. And then it was probably two summers ago when I kind of like hit mental health crisis point in my life. And that was when I decided to search for information myself because I wanted to understand why I was so broken. And in the end, I, it led me to to coaching and I went on um, a, a coaching program and it changed my life and my, particularly my perception because I realized I wasn't broken. And all this introspection, it led me to go, hang on a minute, have a look at your age and things like that. And um, I started doing research into menopause and it was like, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Um, and so I, I got educated. I did my coaching programs and training and accreditations. And, um, you know, I've done an accreditation on menopause and it just made so much sense. And it was almost like a relief. This explains it. It's my hormones. And I often like mention I'm a project manager in my day job. And it can be very embarrassing when you stood up in front of an audience and you're speaking and then all of a sudden your mind goes blank. It's menopause brain, brain fog. <laughs> and you absolutely cannot remember what the next word is or, or the name of an object or something like that. And then, of course, you feel all embarrassed and this just exacerbates the hot flushes and things like that. And you start pouring with sweat and it's not pretty. And it's so sad because a, a lot of women, so many women actually through the menopause, they give up their jobs. They, they, they cannot work. They are so debilitated and they don't wow. have that support that they just, they give up their, they just, they can't. They can't actually carry on with the careers that they've had. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, they should be coming into their own and instead it's, it's kind of cutting them short, if you like. And, and it circles back, I guess, to the, to the issue, which is that the medical health professional are just not sensitive to this to this particular to this particular issue. 
going to reflect on that as we go into another break and we will be back in a bit and pick up on this again. I think we're into a very interesting part of this discussion. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Do you need someone to talk to? Feel you have no one that will listen. You think you've had too much to slide to hang on. It doesn't have to be that way. lessons because everyone needs to talk sometime. Call 0800-009-6640 between 8am and 2am. Truck listens because everybody needs to talk sometime. Did you know we receive no funding here at Trans Radio UK? To keep us on air and growing, we rely on donations. To donate, please head to www.transradiouk.com and click the link. A regular payment of £20 will see you become a partner of Truck. Other options are available. Email info at transradiouk.com for details. A big thank you from all the team here at Trans Radio UK. The world's largest radio station for the trans community. Trans Radio UK. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. So one of the things that you mentioned there, Lee, was around pe- uh, people going through menopause in the workplace and, and how it might affect their performance in their job. What, what kind of services are, I mean, are companies sensitive to this? Because obviously employee retention is quite important and it's a bit of a hot topic, especially with the great resignation. So how, how do you think... Do, do you think there is support in the workplace for uh, women going through the menopause? I think we're getting there. I think there is more of an awareness about menopause in the workplace. I know that managers can get sent on menopause training courses and, and things like that. So I think it is becoming more kind of mainstream to talk about this sort of thing. But if my male boss came to me and said, oh, let's talk about the menopause, you know, as a woman, I'm <laughs> going to I'm gonna go, what? What are you talking about? At least it, it, it shows that there is some support out there in terms of equality and diversity and things like that. The question that, that springs to mind is, as you were mentioning with the GPs being faced with a trans male patient who doesn't make the connection to menopause, I wonder if that emphasis is just on on women in the workplace that are experiencing menopausal symptoms. What about the trans men that might be experiencing those? If we're just catering just now, kind of like coming into the fore with training about menopause in the workplace, I'm wondering whether this is mentioned or, or 
discussed at all. You raise an interesting point. You, somebody who's successfully transitioned, possibly before they even started working at a particular company, is going to feel very uncomfortable about absolutely atten- attending a, a a discussion group or anything uh, related to menopause. And I guess some of the women in that group might feel uncomfortable with a trans man in that space. So so they're less likely, they're, they're more likely, put it this way, to, to sort of white knuckle it and just try and get through it. But they, they wouldn't necessarily be aware that that's what the thing is, because they're not getting access to the resources. It might not have occurred to them that this could be an issue. I mean, I haven't been through the, the trans male pathway, so I'm not sure what services necessarily are provided by the gender identity clinic, but I, I doubt, well, I don't know. So I can't really say as a trans woman, I get to speak to my endocrinologist once or twice a year. He asks me how I'm doing, but I guess like everything, you know, the GICs are overwhelmed. And mm. he also doesn't necessarily know me well enough. He talks to me about, am I, am I checking my breasts? You know, now that I'm over 50, have I, you know, I obviously need to be aware of, of the risks of breast cancer, especially because we trans women tend to run at a much higher level of estrogen. So, yeah, I, I guess... It's interesting because we've achieved so much in terms of diversity and inclusion in the workplace, but this is almost an unintended consequence, isn't it? Because you've got a trans man, a man who doesn't want to necessarily, I mean, I I don't like, certainly in the workplace, you know, I have very private conversations with my very good friends about my journey, but when I'm at work, I want them to treat me as the woman. Mm. Um, and I would I would be very offended if it was alluded to the fact that I'm a trans woman and not a woman, especially given what we were talking about last week. So that must make it very difficult because I, I wonder to what extent trans men are actually even aware of the support that's available to them. Because I'm not sure. And, and maybe that's something people want to reach out to us and, and let us know. And we've talked, Lee and I have actually talked about perhaps having a um, trans man join us for one of our shows. Maybe this is something we can talk about there as well in terms of what kind of support they feel they're getting. But yeah, I, I, I think that's a, the, the workplace is, is a very, it's such a minefield, isn't it? I, I'm not quite sure how one even begins to address that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the key here is to to foster a non-judgmental and empathetic environment, kind of like a safe space. And like you alluded to, I wonder whether as a trans man, a man in the workplace, you would feel that that was a safe place for you. Very interesting point. But we do need to encourage dialogue and, and sharing of resources too, so that we can, you know, empower people to navigate this change. Yeah, and of course, the gender criticals, they would obviously, I hope none of them are listening to this show. I'm pretty sure they don't. <laughs> Probably um, not. Because this would just be more gristled to their mill, really, wouldn't it? You know, mm. because it is such a sensitive subject. They get very upset when they talk. I'm trying to think which organization it was, was 
suggesting to their staff that you, when dealing with married couples, you can't make assumptions around the gender identity of the parent, of the child. So to that extent, and yeah, so the gender criticals really jumped on that and said, yeah, only a woman can be pregnant. All this nonsense about male males being pregnant. And it is actually a definition. There was a, a story, I think it was last year, about the first man who's going to give birth because technically they are now a man, mm. but they fell pregnant before their transition. So now they, they are a man in every other aspect. And I suppose that then leads on to complicated discussions like i know we're getting a little bit off menopause but what about paternity leave <laughs> yeah um i think they call it parental it so, leave now it, don't it they the, ah okay right yeah yeah that's probably a better way of putting it yeah but yeah and i mean long overdue is is ensuring men are around um to help their partner who's given birth uh, in those early days certainly when pre-transition for myself there wasn't any kind of I think I got a couple of days off and that was it really, which, yeah, obviously we've, we've come a long way since then. So I think there's a, there's a common theme here around the risk to trans men of, so, so you talked about the symptoms of menopause and the knee jerk reaction that it's just, that it's not just depression, that it's depression. So we're going to treat the depression and not the root cause. What should trans men who are listening to the show what what should they be doing what should they be thinking about in terms of finding resources do have you read any good books are there any good re websites or anything to to help them research this yeah julie i mean one of the my sort of go-to resources are my menopause bible if you like is called Menopausing that Davina McCall wrote. And it was absolutely fascinating to learn about what these hormones actually are and what they do and what different available treatments there are. Because not all people can have hormone replacement therapy. You've mentioned kind of like the breast cancer risks and things like that. And certainly, you know, some kind of genetic correlation with breast therapy, uh, breast cancer, means that a lot of people can't take hormone replacement therapy. So what other alternatives are there? And in Davina's book, she actually goes into quite depth about the alternatives. And, um, you know, just a shout out to Davina because she actually does address trans men going through the menopause. And also there is kind of like a male menopause. It's called andropause. It's kind of like the same thing with diminishing qualities and quantities of, of hormones. And she does mention both of these in her books, but it's a fantastic resource. It, it really is. One of the alternative therapies is, um, and this is something that is close to my heart as well, is um, hypnotherapy. And it can have a wonderful, I want to say experience, impact. but it's not it can have a wonderful impact on symptoms like hot flushes and the insomnia. And I, I do think that, and I, I do quite a bit of hypnotherapy around that in my, my coaching, menopause coaching. So there are alternative things and there's supplements that you can take and natural alternatives. So 
But yeah, to start off on Davina's book, Menopausing, would be a good good resource to start with. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about andropause, because yeah, I guess it, it's usually, I guess the common symptom is midlife crisis, right? We go out and yeah. get motorcycles and fast cars and... <laughs> um, I mean, I did all of that and I'm a woman, but... Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I called it my midwife crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, still haven't, yeah, I'm still in it because I haven't found the wife yet. So, yeah, I guess the common denominator here is really around the fact that transitioning individuals are making adjustments to the hormones that your body has become used to. So, anybody, we know we can't access hormone blockers necessarily under the age of 18. So most trans people will have passed through either male or, or female puberty and the body is then set up to produce those hormones. I'm talking from a, in a sort of normative way. So when we transition, obviously the key aspect of that, and it's something that that most trans people are extremely proud of, is we sort of talk about, we, we mark the day that, that we finally went on to HRT. For us, that's the beginning of the journey. Yet what we're actually doing at a physiological level is changing the way the body is used to dealing with, is used to receiving these these hormones. So we're almost self-inflicting, if you like, menopause on ourselves. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think this is a serious talking point. There's a lot of women out there who have had um, their ovaries removed or hysterectomy for medical reasons and something like that. And some of them are like, quite young, you know, in their sort of like mid to late 30s, sometimes even earlier, and they have to have this operation, but it throws them into something called surgical menopause. And it throws you into like, there you go, you're in menopause, you know, and then your Mm. hormones aren't there to support you. And I think a lot of people have gone through hysterectomies and things like that without being educated about the consequences and the fact that you're not going to have any hormones, you know, or the the usual range of, of, of hormones. So again, I think this can be correlated to the, the transgender community where there might not be enough support or enough education around. you basically going to be going into surgical menopause. It's, it's similar to that, this instant menopause, mm. bang, and you're a young, young person and your body's used to those hormones and suddenly you cut them off. And again, I think this is another point that, that needs to be talked about a lot more. Yeah, I think for the most part, there is a, a general, I mean, I know for myself, I, I like to consider myself quite well read and I like to do a lot of research and I've struggled with weight my whole life. So I think I've got a fairly good grip on physiology but you know I'm 52 and I'm still trying to figure out how my body works and it's interesting how much of it how much of the things that are wrong with us physiologically are triggered by hormone and I remember in my earliest days researching what is transgender one of the things that they talked about 
was that in the research that they have done, which has obviously been quite difficult because obviously you can't do brain research on somebody who's alive and you need to have self-selected to donate your brain to, to science, really. So the research has, has taken a long time. But one of the things that they talked about is they do talk about the hypothalamus and how the hypothalamus is almost the traffic controller for hormones. Is that right? Is that sort of on, on track with, with my understanding? Yeah, I, I love that analogy of like the control center. And the hypothalamus plays a part in, in one of the most common symptoms, and that is the hot flushes, because the hypothalamus regulates body temperature. And if you're not having those hormones that are feeding into the hypothalamus, that's where you get the, the hot flushes, the night sweats, that kind of thing. So it does play a very important role in, as you said, like the control center. And another area which um, not a lot of people understand about is that your adrenal glands, which sit on top of your kidney, are also responsible for producing a lot of hormones. It's not just you know, the, the sort of like ovaries and testes, but your adrenal glands also produce a certain amount of, of hormones. And again, it's the estrogens and uh, progesterones and the testosterones that they produce so yeah it's it's like this circuit you know yeah that's really interesting yeah. It, it's like it's almost like the higher you climb in the mountain the further you can see <laughs> and you realize the world is so much bigger it's like everything new you learn that i thought it was all about the hypothalamus i thought hormones come from your testes or your ovaries and now you've just told me it can come from other places as well. And I mean, I literally, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, oh, do we need to take those adrenal glands out as well? <laughs> um, so what's the connection between hormones and emotions, do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you have to warn me when, <laughs> when you ask questions like that. No, that's okay. Maybe we can, when, when we go into the next break, we can think about that a little bit. Because I kind of feel like, you know, you've talked about the emotional roller coaster that you go through as a, as somebody going through menopause. It has a very emotional impact on you. Yeah. So I guess, and obviously depression is a kind of emotion. So if you are making changes to your physiology, it seems almost a natural consequence of that, that it's going to create some emotional turmoil if you like so i guess yeah that's a let's think about that as we go into break yeah. and we will confer while the ads are in terms of where we take that discussion what a good time to have an ad break we'll see you on the other side oh i love this we continue in moments this is good yes yes you're locked to trans radio uk if you're transgender feeling lonely and don't think there's any help available? Well, now Transradio UK have Truck Listens, a confidential phone service just for you on 0800 009 6640. Talk for some time when you're feeling good. It's gone so much better than you thought it would. small price for you to pay. 
Go on, make that call. It's a small price. To talk to someone who's both sympathetic and empathetic, call Truck Listens. 0800 009 6640. Truck Listen, 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 listen. Did you know we receive no funding here at Trans Radio UK? To keep us on air and growing, we rely on donations. To donate, please head to www.transradiouk.com and click the link. A regular payment of £20 will see you become a partner of Truck. Other options are available. Email info at transradiouk.com for details. A big thank you from all the team here at Trans Radio UK. The world's largest radio station for the trans community. Trans Radio UK. And we're back. So during the commercial break, Lee and I had a nice little confab. (laughs) And yeah, we were talking, we, we were sort of thinking about the emotional response that we get. But those emotional responses are to a certain extent driven by the symptoms. So those sort of so take us back to those symptoms and how that might like affect your mood and put you in a bad mood or really break you down yeah i mean it's it's kind of like twofold because on the one hand you've got diminishing quality and quantity of hormones going on and they can have effects like we spoke about the hypothalamus so you've got these it's your temperature control center when you get hot and have night sweats and things like that. And consequently, this impacts on you physically because you don't get a good night's sleep and you wake up the next day and you've got no energy. And this goes on for weeks and sometimes a month. And all, all of that sort of thing can have an effect on your mood. If you, if you don't have a particularly good night's sleep once, you're in a bad mood the next day probably. But if this goes on day in and day out, day in and day out, it, it does affect your mood. And yeah, it's that sleep, sleep deprivation. It's, it's yeah. Like a torture. It, it's a torture it, technique for heaven's sake. Exactly. It is. It is. Other sort of like key hormones that might affect your emotions is cortisol, which is like the stress hormone. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also released by the adrenal glands in in response to a stress now being sleep deprived from you know the, the insomnia um is a stress on your body so again it perpetuates into this vicious cycle and then you know sort of like serotonin levels uh, which is a feel-good hormone and that's responsible for regulating the mood and things like that but it can also be uh, impacted by decreasing hormones and, and things like that so yeah fluctuations in all these these hormones does tend to have an impact not just physio- physiologically but also physically yeah i think that's possibly why there tends you know there, there's often this weight gain isn't there because there's a connection between i'm not sure if it's serotonin or cortisol but one of them makes it very difficult for you to burn fat and it, they've linked that to one of the reasons why as you get older it's a lot harder to lose weight and it's also a stress response isn't it so cortisol is released in response to stress yeah yeah so you kind of yeah i, I mean it really it's like running roughshod through your body all of these changes and as trans people we self-inflict a lot of them (laughs) on on our on our journey 
and and yeah, I I've been thinking while we've been chatting. I mean, I don't think I I think my endocrinologist from the GIC maybe had one conversation with me a long time ago about how increasing the estrogen might affect my mood. But for the most part, there's actually very little support provided to trans people in terms of so what you know, they they're very focused on the treatment. So it's like, okay, you you're a trans man, so we've got to get your testosterone up. You're a trans woman, so we're going to cut your testosterone off. And it's actually quite interesting because my blood tests show, in fact, on a couple of the last ones, there was actually zero serum testosterone in my system at all. Now, the body, female, cisgendered females still um, generate some testosterone. You know, there is a natural limit, a natural range. And I think it's sort of five to nine in women. I, I stand to be corrected on that. But yeah, I mean, I operate at my last blood test was 0.01. It was barely there. And I, I guess that's got to have an effect on you. I mean, testosterone testosterone is a mood enhancer it does make you feel better about things and and obviously helps with exercise and that sort of thing so yeah it's although menopause i guess as we said at the top of the show menopause is generally referred to as applying to the end of is it the menses cycle or it's correct yes yeah, but yeah, I, I I mean, and I suppose the andropause, the word yeah. used, yeah, is the loss of testosterone. I I don't think transgender healthcare really talks enough about that. Exactly, um, and I think and, an and interesting thing that you mentioned about testosterone is while it's often associated with aggression and competitive behaviour, it does play an incredible role in mood regulation, as you've said, and. Low testosterone levels in men can lead to fatigue, irritability, depression. Mm. Um, but interestingly enough, in women, testosterone levels also drop during menopause. And again, this is linked to that fatigue, that irritability, that depression, just perpetuating that cycle. Yeah. Well, once again... We have had a conversation where we've left with more questions than answers. <laughs> what sort of homeopathic remedies are they? Because I know a lot of the people out there in Transylvania, I know we tend to lean that way. Are there any sort of homeopathic remedies that can help if there are any? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that sort of a lot of people can't actually take the um, hormone replacement therapies and things like that. But there are alternative medicines that can have an, an effect. So your homeopathic medicines is, is right up there. And I'm just having a look at my notes here quickly. Some of them are like really hard to pronounce. <laughs> okay, well, you don't need to <laughs> pronounce the ones you can. Okay, so there's uh, something called sepia, which is commonly used for women who feel exhausted and irritable and overwhelmed. It can help alleviate hot flushes, night sweats. Pulsatilia, which is also quite beneficial for mood swings. Oh, the weepiness. That's another symptom associated yeah. with low mood and, and uh, menopause. And it can also help, again, with hot flushes. And glononium. Uh, which is frequently used to, again, treat the hot flushes. So there's a lot of, you know, this is a central theme, this, this hot flushes, and we've connected the mm. dots on on that. But it can also um, help with mood swings and depression and irritability. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of natural things that you can take. And also in terms of 
supplements is black kosher, which again is is very helpful. Magnesium. Magnesium is wonderful because it also helps with sleep and collagen. Collagen is a good one because with aging, you know, your your skin, that sort of thing, it goes all, you know, sort of like saggy and, and things like that. So collagen is <laughs> no, another, <laughs> I, I no another one. <laughs> collagen is another good supplement that you can take. Okay. You're not talking about the one that you inject in your eyebrows and stuff. No, it's kind of like a powder. So if you're into these um, shakes that you make in your blender, oh, okay. you just chuck a bit of collagen in there and blend it all up. Okay, so it's not an open invitation for everybody to go out there. No, it's get, not. Um... It's not that kind of collagen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it is. Okay. It's the same collagen, but you take it differently. Cool. So we're running up against uh, the end of our hour. I feel like there's so much more we can talk about. And maybe we'll come back to this again. Please reach out to us with your questions and, and we'll do our best to to try and find the answers. Lee, do you want to just remind everybody what that book was? Yeah, so Davina McCall and it's called Menopausing. And if you're into audiobooks, I highly recommend the audiobooks. It's actually narrated by Davina herself and she brings Oh, okay. you know her own sort of personality into it so it was really really interesting having the audiobook great there was also an online resource that i found um when i was doing my research let's see if i can find it here so this is a website and it's so this website uh i did quite a lot of my research on that and it's a really good one and it's literally queermenopause.com and it's specifically I mean, when you land on the page, it says, because menopause happens to people. So really good resource, that. Good to have a look on there. So we're going to leave it there. Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, our chat today. I hope you're finding these topics interesting. And we're open to suggestions. Uh, anything you want us to cover, we're more than happy to um, investigate these issues for us all. So with that, it's a goodbye from me and. And it's a goodbye from me. Thank you for listening. Remember, stay strong, stay proud, and let's keep transcending together. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Before I let you go, we've got some really great news. We've created a Twitter account for this show, and I really hope to be hearing from you on the account. The handle is at truck underscore t t that's truck underscore t t and the name of the count is truck transcending together also please stay around after the news for miscellaneous unorthodox jukebox and i'm going to take you up to the news with a little bit of enya
the world's largest radio station for the trans community. Trans Radio UK.